Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Glad your folks are able to be here tonight. We welcome those of you who are on Zoom as well. I'm going to ask Carrie to come now and read the scripture for the evening and lead us in prayer. Good evening. Please turn to Exodus 32. It's Exodus 32. We'll start reading in verse 7. 7 to 15, and then we'll jump a few verses. We'll then pick it up at 19 through to the end of the, um, the chapter. So a little bit of a context here. So this is when Moses has gone up onto the mountain, uh, receiving instructions, receiving the word of God from God. And um, while he's away, the people decide um, through Aaron that they should be making a, a god. You go before them, it'd be a golden calf. And so that's where we pick it up. That's the context. So starting in verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, consume them, and I will make thee of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Therefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief he did bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them uh, from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest by thy own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seeds as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of this evil which he thought to do unto his people. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both sides, and on one side and on the other side they were written. So they, they, uh, Moses and jo Joshua go down, uh, and as this is what they uh, witness as they come into the camp. And it came, um, verse 19 now, And it came to pass, as soon as they came nigh unto the camp, that they saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. And he cast the tables out of his hand and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burnt it in the fire and grounded it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee <clears throat> that thou hast brought such so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off, so that they gave me, then I cast it into the fire, and there came out this calf. Yeah, that is a little, <laughs> a little strange the way that he put that. And when Moses saw that the people were naked... For Aaron hath made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother. 
and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell about fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses said, Concentrate yourself today to the Lord. Every man, even every man upon his son, upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Preventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. Sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, against me, him I will blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, my angels shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people, because they made the calf which Aaron made. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you, Lord God, that we can come in this country, Father, and and read your word without fear, Father, of of uh, being attacked. So, Father God, we we thank you for this. And Father, we 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 look at this passage, Father, and and we have many questions, Father, how especially how they have, could have turned so quickly against you in such a manner. Father, we, we thank you, Lord God, again for this country. We, we pray for the government, Father. We pray for our federal government, provincial and municipality, Father. We, we pray, Lord God, that uh, these leaders, as they make decisions, that they might realize they must give an account for you, Father. We, we pray, Lord God, that uh, um, you will send laborers to them, um, that they might have their eyes opened if they do not know you, Father. We, we pray, Lord God, for grace upon the leaders of this great country that we that we get the privilege of living in, and Lord God, we uh, we pray for uh, John Kovat, Father, with uh, his heart. Father, we ask, Lord God, that um, he might be able to get a doctor's appointment and to, and to get to the bottom of this. Father, we we pray for them, Father, and we appreciate when they do come out. And Lord God, we pray for the missionaries. We pray for Ryan, Lord God, uh, as he's seeking a truck. Father, we pray for the missionaries in India, um, faced with a government that is against Christianity. So, Lord God, we uh, we pray for grace. We pray for open doors there. And Father, um, we ask, Lord God, that uh, that man might see that vision, having many churches planted, uh, and see many many get saved. Father, and Lord God, we thank you for the new people that are coming here. Father, we pray for them. Father, and um, Lord God, help us, Lord God, to, to glorify you. So tonight, Father, we ask, Lord God, that you might open our eyes, Father, um, to what you will have us to know. And Father, help us, to, uh, help us, Lord God, to seek your Son, to be closer to him day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Then, Terry, welcome. Thanks Thank for being here, and the Lord bless us. Thanks. So... The title is Testing, Testing, but, yeah, Testing, Testing, one, two, three, yeah, exactly. But it could very well have been ca- called Cause and Effect. Because um, very much the whole passage, you'll see that throughout the whole passage, Cause and Effect. Um, so like in business, sometimes... For one reason or another, someone will back out of a deal, and there's the cause, and then the rest is the effect. And effect goes, like, who knows which way it's going to go, but there's quite a bit of different roads that effect can take. And so here we see a cause and effect, really, um, but there is an aspect of testing in this. And so... For 40 days and nights, Moses was up on the mountain. You know, in Exodus 24, um, 
In Exodus 24:18, we're told that Moses entered, uh, entered the cloud and went into the mountain to meet with God and receive instructions, receive the word of God from him, uh, written on stone and tablets by the finger of God. And in the course of this passage, we see Moses coming down the mountain and smashing these tablets in his wrath when he sees the blatant sin of the Israelites. How quickly they broke the first commandment of God, as we see in Genesis 20. Genesis 20 says, I am the Lord, Genesis 20, starting verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So, God makes a statement here. He makes a statement in this, in in verse 2, I am the Lord thy God. So he makes this statement, and he tells him, I am your personal God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And God reminds them that he brought, him, brought them out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. So God reinforces the statement now he makes in verse 3. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Now God reminds them that they were slaves. God brought them out of the land of slavery. And with that very statement in verse 2, the Israelites should have automatically remembered how they were brought out. They were brought out with great signs and wonders. Great signs and wonders. So here, God puts this first verse, I believe he put this first verse, so they would remember about the grace of God. Right? So we know that God wants us to respond to him. Right? Christ went onto the cross and was raised again. All our sins are put upon him, and we respond to that, to him, through obedience. Now, God doesn't have to remind them, but it's out of grace, I believe, that he put this verse here. He simply could have said and commanded them not to have any other idols. He didn't have to remind them about the grace of God. God doesn't have to justify his commandments at all to us. Right? He answers to no one. But again and again, we see throughout the Bible a gracious God. Right? A gracious God. He remembers what we're made of. And he remembers that sin desires to rule us. And so in the grace of God, he reminds the Israelites here that they should obey him. Why? Because once they were slaves, brought out of slavery. And so he reminds them that they had a heavy burden under, under Pharaoh. And he brought them out, great signs and wonder, he alone is God. So the signs themselves should testify, in fact, to the entire world. That's why he did all that. For the entire world to know that God is is God. The God of Israel is God. So knowing that, when we read this account about Aaron and the tribe of Israel making a golden calf so quickly, six chapters before, they said they were going to obey God, and so we're flabbergasted. We sit here and we wonder, how is that possible? How can they forget so soon? You know, we think about the Red Sea being parted, Passing on dry land, you got a wall of water and a wall of water. The Egyptians come, Pharaoh comes, they're judged in the mud, and God judges them, and they all drown. And that's just one of the signs and wonders. So really, they were surrounded by a cloud of witness. You know, Kirk's been teaching in Romans that it's inexcusable not to believe that there's a God when, you're crea- when we're surrounded by creation itself. You know, the birds sing, changing of the seasons, stars and the moon. Ray, I was talking this morning about the instincts of animals. Where does that come from? It all screams that there is a God. And if there's a God, 
Are you accountable to him? Seek that God. So we see creation itself has an order in the design. And so when we look back, we wonder how the Israelites could have done that so quickly. But really, if we're honest, we could very well do the same thing if we were them. You know? Now some might say, and wonder why, God didn't prevent the Israelites from sinning in such a manner. Right? I say this because it seemed like God waited till the deed was done. Right? God waited until the golden calf was finished before they started burnt offerings to this golden calf before he told Moses what was going on. Now God could have very much intervened and, re- and, you know, and prevented this rebellion against him. And we hear that all the time. We hear that line of thinking all the time. Sometimes when we're witnessing to someone, they'll say, well, if God is love, why? Right? If God is love, why is there suffering? Why is there a Ukraine war? You know, why is there a war in Israel right now? You know, and sometimes we try and put makeup on this. You know, we just have a big long answer. You know, well, you have a choice. You know, God gives everyone a choice. You know, and you know, and those things might lead into other things. You know, or, or we might say, well, if it doesn't kill you, well, it makes you stronger. But you know what the answer is? Like the really short answer? The really short answer is sin. That's why they're suffering. Because we live in a world of sin. God's warned us that there will be death. In fact, Floyd talked about that this morning. God had warned us in the garden. We don't believe him. It's sin. That's the real short answer. But sometimes God does protect us against ourselves. You know, there is a time, even in in Genesis 13, and it came to pass when Pharaoh was letting, this is when Pharaoh was letting them go, God decided not to go through the land of the Philistines, although it was near. God said, let's pre-adventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. So God seen and protected them from themselves. And how many times has God protected us from ourselves? Times we don't even know about. And so thankfully here, God's seeing that these guys are going to want to go back to Egypt. As soon as they see a war with the Philistines, they're, they're, they're out of here. They're going back. So he prevented that from happening. And God had protected his own people at that time. And so, as I was saying earlier, this, is, this passage here is full of cause and effect. Now, I think cause and effect is self explanatory but just in case I didn't understand it I googled it okay and this is the example it said John was rude so Elise hit him so there's the cause and effect John was rude so his girlfriend hit him okay so that's the effect so I think I'm on the right line there I think I understood it so the cause is man's heart right we love evil we're told in the Bible we love evil, and when we really think about it and meditate it, we probably do love evil. No, actually, we do. So, um, and we're by nature, we have this fallen sin nature, right? We sin against God. David prayed, you I have sinned against, right? So he realized that he was sinning against God. It affected many people, but he realized in the end he was really sinning against God. So the effect is many in this case, uh, we have God's reaction to Moses. We have Moses' reaction to the people. We have Aaron reacting to the people. We have the Levites' reaction. And so it's very noticeable through all of this, there's all of these cause and effect, cause and effect through this whole passage. Now, it's such a serious matter. But when I started studying it, I thought, wow, this is a wonderful passage. 
I can't believe how wonderful this passage is. Even though there is, is such a serious matter, and at the end of the chapter, it's sort of, you know, God says, okay, we're going to keep going, but then he sends a plague. So there is judgment in this. And so when I started looking into it, I read a commentary from a man named Barnes. Now, he suggested that Moses was being tested. And he suggested that God actually delayed in telling Moses so that he would test him. And so the first six verses, which we didn't read, um, of course, was the, the uh, making of the calf. And in verse 7, in verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down for thy people, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And so God now informs him what's going on. But the way he does it in this verse, okay, there's a phrase here, um, um, which thou brought us out of the land of Egypt. Now that is found in other places in the Bible, right? Because Moses has, right? Moses was commanded to bring the bring his people out, you know. So that, that doesn't put off any bells and whistles, but in the manner how it's said here, first he says, thy people. Thy people, which you brought out. Moses, they're your people. You brought them out of the land, you know. Remember the blind man? And the Pharisees were after him, brought the parents in. Remember what the parents said? Hey, he's of age. Let him speak, right? For fear. So they disassociated themselves away from him for fear. And so here it seems like God is emphasizing your people. You brought them out of the land. Now, he's not blaming Moses, right? Because we know this, uh, the sons don't pay the sins for the fathers or, or likewise. But he seemed to be disassociating himself with the Israelites while he's associating Moses with them, right? right? They're your people. I'm done with them. They're stiff-necked people. You brought them out, and look, they acted corruptly. And the Israelites have quickly turned away from God, right? So far that they make a golden calf. That's how far they turned away from God in such a short time. Now, not only did they make this false God, but they had a purpose in it. They actually had a premeditated purpose in this God. You know, look at, look at in verse 1 of 32. And they said in the middle of it, up, said to Aaron, up, like get up, do something, Aaron. Uh, make us gods which go before us. Which go before us. Right? They wanted to follow this God. They're making a God so that they can follow this God. And when they follow through with their intentions, in verse 4, what do they do? And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graven tool. After that, he made it a molten calf, and they said, These God, thy God, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. All those great signs and wonders this little golden calf did. Premeditated to follow this God, and now they actually go so far to say, look at what your God has done. Great signs and wonders. That God did all of this that you just fashioned with your hands. So essentially, essentially they wanted to erase God, right? It sounds like uh, what we've been learning in curse class in Romans 1.18. They hold the righteousness down. The truth 
They hold that truth down, right? They don't want to acknowledge that the true God brought them out of Israel. And they're holding this calf on top of that truth. And they're giving God's glory to this man-made God. So now they're committed, right? Now they are so committed, they're now having burnt offerings to this God. Aaron builds an altar. They get up early in the morning. They burnt offerings, peace offerings to a false God. They surrender their lives to this God. And they're clearly displaying that they are committed to this God. They've given this, their heart over to this God. You know, last week, Riel mentioned that um, the Israelites broke out in that psalm after the Red Sea. You know, that great passage where they're, they're praising God for everything he's done. Parting the Red Sea. You know, the Egyptians, Pharaoh, is drowned in the sea. And now they're giving that credit. And they're singing to this golden calf. So, that's their sin. And so Moses is delayed in returning cause and effect. They're saying, well, you were delayed, so this is what we did. It's hard for us to understand how quickly they turned away. So meanwhile now, back in the mountain, Moses gets the news in verse 10. He says, now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make thee a great nation. And so, God gives Moses an out. Moses, I'm going to start over with you. Good thing he's not a narcissist. Because things could have been very different for the Israelites if he was. You know, Moses didn't have an easy time with these people, right? They grumbled against him. It was a very stressful situation, I'm sure. It, well, it seemed like it was very stressful on him. Grumble for food, grumble for water. right? God himself calls him in verse 9, a stiff-necked people. Moses can't disagree with them. He knows firsthand how it is to deal with them. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to leave you with the impression that the Israelites are stiff-necked people. Because it would have been any of us. Mankind is stiff-necked people. You know, because it's hard to turn away from your own nature. And so in verse 10, he says, leave me alone. Now, therefore, let me alone. I'm going to deal with them in my anger, Moses. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Leave me alone, is what the God of the universe he says to do, and I will destroy your people. But in the end, you're going to be blessed. Because you're still going to have a great nation, but I'm going to start over with you. Just like the flood, I'm going to start over with you, Moses. So, how do you respond to an angry God? How do you respond to an angry God? Now, this passage is very familiar to us. We know that Moses intervenes as an advocate, as a mediator. Mediating between God and the Israelites. Okay, So it's very familiar to us. But I want you to look at it with fresh eyes. An angry God. Okay? Isaiah, what did he say when the Lord was high and lifted up? When he seen him in the vision? He was undone. Another word is saying he was ruined. Right? Abraham fell down face. Joshua was on his knees and worshipped. Okay? So that's in the presence of a God that doesn't seem to be angry. But how do you dare speak to an angry God? Moses did. Moses responded to him, right? Moses did. I thought of Riel, and then I found in King James, and it doesn't start with the word but. So this is from the Christian Standard Bible. In verse 11, it goes, but. So I thought of Riel because of the his uh, butt series. 
So, but Moses sought the favor of God, right? So how does he how does he seek the favor of God here? Well, how does he do it? He does it through the glory of God, right? And Moses besought the Lord and said, Lord, why doth thou wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, mighty hand? Therefore, in verse 12, should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief, did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? So, through the glory of God, he asks questions to God, and he points towards the fact that the Egyptians will now mock God. It will look like God brought them out just to destroy them. All those great wine uh, signs and wonders only to bring them out to destroy them. Which brings into question God's glory. Now God, we know that God looks at the heart, right? Moses isn't all of a sudden thinking of a clever way of getting God to stop of not to pour his wrath out. Because God would have seen right through that, right? He is truly concerned that the glory of God will be called into question here. Moses is reminding him it will look like the surrounding nations, the entire world, will see and mock. And what does he say? He says, remember the promise you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore by your name. And so he's very concerned about the glory of God. Moses mediates between Israel and God using the glory of God and for the glory of God, which of course reminds us that there is one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's turn to John 12, starting in verse 23. John 12 uh, starting in verse 23. Jesus is predicting his death here and his death. Right? The hours have come. Son of man should be glorified. And then he starts explaining about a corn of wheat falls on the ground and dies as it abides alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth fruit. So there he's talking about his death and how it will bring much fruit. And then he tar- starts talking about what it looks like with salvation. How does this fruit come? Well, when we surrender our lives, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If a man serves me, let him follow me, and where I am there also my servant be. If a man serve me, him will my father honor. And so that is the way we give our life over And this is how the fruit comes that he's talking about in verse 23. We surrender our heart to him. And in 27 now, he says, Now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause, I came on to this hour. And verse 28, Father, glorify thy name. And so he's troubled. Right, And we know in the garden when he prays, he has his anxiety as a man going to the death of a cross and being mocked in shame. But under the thought and the anxiety of the stress to come, how does he go? Does he run from it? Does he run from that anxiety and that stress? No, he quickly, in verse 28, goes to the glory of God. He goes to the glory of God. Moses turned to the glory of God. God, you're going to destroy the Israelites? What about your glory? What about your glory? Right? He turns to the glory of God. Jesus is under stress, thinking about his future coming on the cross. 
he goes to the glory of God. Now next, we see back in Exodus, next we see a godly zeal. A godly zeal in verse 19. A godly zeal. And it came to pass, as soon as they came nigh unto the calf, that he saw the calf and the dancing. Moses' anger was waxed hot, and he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. So what do we see? He throws the tablets down. In 24, Exodus 24, they just made a covenant. We're going to do what you said, God. He throws the tablets down. The covenant is broken. They broke the covenant. So it's pretty serious. Pretty serious matter. You broke the covenant. Moses smashes the tables down. And that zeal goes and continues. He takes that calf, burns in the fire, makes it into powder, puts it on water, and makes them drink it. And it reminds us of the Lord turning the tables over. Right? Remember the greed they had in the house? That greed. And so Moses has the same zeal that we see Christ have the zeal in the New Testament. They tried to remove God from the rightful place with dishonest greed in his house, right? And here they're removing God with a golden calf. And so Spurgeon pointed out that the action of Moses here is there's one standing against a million, standing before a million, and yet he prevailed in destroying the calf, had them drink the water, with the powder of this calf. How does one man do that? Well, it speaks to authority, which of course reminds us of Jesus Christ. Remember when the Pharisees sent the officers to arrest Jesus? I think it was the first time or the one time that was recorded before the other one. They came back empty-handed. They said, guys, where's Jesus? They said, no one ever spanked like that. No one ever spoke the way he did. The authority. They couldn't lay a hand on him. One against everyone in the earth. He has all authority. And this here is Moses having a picture of that authority, and they don't dare do anything against him. One man did all of that, probably with a million people watching. And they dared not do anything like that against him. Even that night when they finally succeeded, when God allowed it to happen, they all fell back first. They came to arrest him and they all fell back. And so that shows the authority. And verse 21, the chastisement of Aaron, right? Moses is giving him an opportunity to confess. Right? He even says, listen, I know how these people are. What did they do to convince you, Aaron? He's actually given him a way to confess. Now, we know that Aaron, he, he says, we know it was peer pressure. You felt the peer pressure. Now, has God ever put the finger on you? Have you ever felt in such a way that God has, has a finger on something in your life? You know? How often do we see the examples of God drawing out confession of sin in the Bible? Adam and Eve. He spoke to them, questioning, questioning, trying to draw it out. You know, Cain, right? He warning him. You know, sin has a desire to rule you. You know, the, the woman that grabbed the robe and Jesus singled her out. Singled her out. So that she would truly know who he is. The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. And so we have this cause and effect. right? Aaron says, well, you know, it's the people. And this calf came out. Just, you know. Calf just started, came out. You know. And it's a contrast between Moses and Aaron. 
right? Moses stands on the rock, you know. Now Aaron has lost control of the people in 25 to 28, right? Uh, and Moses saw that they were naked in 25, because Aaron made them naked. Now that means there were lawlessness. Doesn't necessarily mean that they were naked. But it shows a contrast between Moses and Aaron. You know, Aaron fell and he lost control. They're in a state of lawlessness. Anything goes. They're bringing shame, right? All their enemies could see they're like anyone else. They're like anyone else. Well, what is that? That is a reflection on God's glory. You know, they're, they're God's people. Look what they do. They're just like anyone else. And so punishment is inflicted here. Moses stood against. And he calls them out. Who will stand with me? Who's going to stand with me? Now, in the New Testament, we have the government. right? God usually, a lot of times, will use man to carry out justice. In this case, they're right there. Brothers, to carry out the justice. So in this case, in verse 29, what happened? Oh, sorry, a little before verse 29. So he calls and says, who's going to stand with me? And when the Levites come to him, he says in 27, put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp and slay every man his brother Every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And the children of Levite did according to the word of Moses. And there fell that day about 3,000 men. About 3,000 men. Now in verse 29, Moses had said, Concentrate yourself today to the Lord, every man upon his son and upon his brother that he may bestow upon you a blessing. Now, this is a different translation that I looked at. This is how this one puts it. Today you have been dedicated to the Lord, since each man went against his son and brother, therefore you have brought a blessing on yourself today. And so because of their actions, because of their actions, they have a blessing. Now, the firstborn was to be set apart for the Lord. But because of what the Levites did here and their obedience, God gave them that honor. And so now they have the honor of being the priests of the nation of Israel. Because what they have done, you know, they did not allow their close relationships hinder their zeal for God, right? In their repentance, they showed a great zeal for God. And what did they do? They ended up being blessed as the priest nation because they went against their sons. They went against their brother, their companions. Now, this is a difficult picture. You know, this is very difficult. Can you imagine if you're there going against your family? So the Levites strapped on these swords, and they showed that they loved him. They showed they wanted to please God. They wouldn't even allow their own flesh and blood to compromise them as they sought after God. Now, the New Testament alludes to this. Jesus said, suppose ye, suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two and two against three. And so when we give our heart to the Lord, we are to surrender, surrender all. And it's a sobering thought and a high calling when you read a verse like this. You know, we're, we don't even let our relatives 
in our new life compromise. And that can create conflict. You know, I was raised in a Christian home, so I can testify, yes, it does have conflict. It does have conflict. And I can tell you, my mom and dad never compromised on the Word of God. And they would let you know. They would let you know. And so we should not compromise our faith from the calling that we have when we belong to God. Our desire is that our loved ones get saved. Our desire is our loved ones will come to know the Lord. And we're called to love them, but not compromise the truth of the gospel. We cannot compromise the truth of the gospel. Now Moses here, in verse 30 he wants to see them forgiven. He said, Lord, this people have sinned a great sin, and they've made gods of gold. Now if thy will, forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of the book which thou hast written. Moses desires to see them forgiven. And so he goes and he seeks forgiveness for the people. And amazingly enough, he suggests, if God cannot forgive them, then blot me out of your name, out of your book. Does he really understand what he's saying there? He's willing to sacrifice his standing with God, willing to be separate from God forever? For the sake of the people, for the sake of his brothers and sisters. Again, though, he's reflecting Christ. Right? Jesus sought our forgiveness. He's willing to be nailed to the cross. He was willing to be turned into sin, to be regarded as a sinner. On the cross, God regarded him as a sinner. And sinners are separate from God, right? So Jesus associated with sinful man, right? Even though Moses desired forgiveness, he couldn't atone it. He couldn't atone for his people. And we're reminded of this in, in verse 7. Thy people, right? Indeed, he was an Israelite. He was very much like them. He was a common man. He was a sinner, So sin came into the world by one man. Man is under judgment of God. Yet there was not one man that could convince God to forgive them. If Moses couldn't do it, who else could do it? You know, but God sent this son. So was it a test? Is this chapter a test? You know, God didn't stop it from happening. Was he testing Aaron? Testing the Israelites? With the time of quietness, apparently God was absent. Was he testing the Levites? Do they really love him? Was it a test for Moses? Well, Moses certainly looked like Christ through this. And he loved them. He loved them so much he was willing to be cast out. Willing to be cast out of God's kingdom. Now, if that doesn't say... Jesus Christ, and I don't know what it does. No, Moses, not you. Not you, Moses. I'll send another to be tested. Satan's going to tempt him. He's going to be tempted to all common temptations to man. But my servant will prevail. Right? Even the anxieties of the cross will not prevent him. He will glorify God. I will pour out my anger and my wrath upon him. An angry God sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. Sin entered the world by one man. So man 
like us, who's related to us, has to defeat it. Defeat Satan, right? The perfect Lamb of God without sin. Willing to go to the cross. And the grave couldn't keep him. One greater than Moses. So how about our own lives? Are we being tested? Christian man once told me, if you're in a trial, first thing you ask, is this a test? Is this a test? You know what? If you had that outlook, if this, if you had that outlook, how could things look different? You might be a little more conscious of your next step. Because remember, we're called to reflect Jesus Christ. The church. Been a couple years now, we don't have a pastor. Is this a test? If it's a test, what should we do? Pray? Yeah, that's praying. That brings glory to God. That's right. Rely on God. Aim to bring Him the glory. If this is not a test, what should we do? Glorify God. Aim to bring God the glory. Right? We have a few years left to do this. It'll be over in no time. Aim to bring glory to God. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Lord God, for a passage where we see Moses, who looks like your son. Father, help us, Lord God, to, uh, to have that desire. Father, change our heart. We ask that you change our heart. We cannot do this, Father. We can take steps towards repentance. But, Father, we're relying on you by the Spirit of God to change us, Father. Oh, Father, how we desire to be changed. Help us. In Jesus' holy name, amen.